Okay, so we're going to continue our series in how to be rich as opposed to how to get rich. But part of the backdrop of all this, as you recall, is the reality that we are materially rich. If you go to globalrichlist.com, you can put in your America and you can put in the amount of money you make and see where you fit in in the world. And if you put in $31,000 a year, you will see the little calculator pop up and all the people zoom and you'll see that you're in the upper 1% of income earners in the world at $31,000 a year. If you put in $10,000 a year, you're in the top 16% in the world at $10,000 a year. And then, of course, if you put in numbers that are like the starting salary for an engineer type numbers, then, boy, you get into the stratosphere because you live in America. And America is a tremendous aberration in both the world today and human history. Al and I were talking this morning and speculating that if you were to be able to get into a time capsule and go back and actually live like Solomon lived in his house and in his bedroom without an iPad, no cell phone, you get to go in a chariot everywhere you go, get in a maybe a, one of those walking chairs where they carry you around. It might be cool for a little while, but then if they said, okay, you want to keep living Solomon's life or go back to Midland? bet you'd say, I want my F-150 back. Because we just live in a ridiculously rich time. We're incredibly blessed. But it turns out that that doesn't actually make us rich. So let's look at 1 Timothy 6 today. We've been looking at different ways to be rich. And looking at, last week we looked at wisdom as a way of being rich. And we looked at the reality that if we listen to God, that is actually buying gold from God. We actually get treasure and gold and silver from listening to God. And when we listen to God and understand and live life that way, we actually become incredibly rich. Well, today we're going to look at another component of being rich. You can't get rich without getting a lot of stuff, a big gain. So let's look at... 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, that's a very interesting sentence, don't you think? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, of course, richness involves great gain, a great accumulation. So, Let's look at what this means. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If godliness with contentment is great gain, then what would that tell us is not great gain? Godliness without contentment. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of kind of uh, funny sounding. I looked at this word godliness some, and it in the lexicon, it talks about this word and several other words as being basically the same thing, which is piety. And it's the ancient idea of the proper way to behave toward a deity. The proper behavior toward a deity. We can get a sense of this word in James 1. Let's go to James 1. 
And there, the a word that's in this family, it's not the same word, is translated religion. James 1, 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious or pious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's piety is useless. So, one of the ways that you are pious or religious in a way that's useless is if you can't bridle your tongue. Now, what does that mean, bridle your tongue? What happens if you get on a horse that doesn't have a bridle on it? Yeah, it just goes wherever it wants to go, right? And probably means back to the barn. So an unbridled situation means there's no control over it. Well, what does an unbridled tongue do? Trash other people. Now, why would you trash other people? What is the purpose of trashing another person? Oh, you elevate yourself. Okay, that's one. You elevate yourself by depressing them. Okay, good. What's another reason to trash someone? What's that? Well, okay, why would you trash someone because you're upset? Revenge, okay? It's you're, you're paying them back. They need to be judged, and so you're judging them with your tongue. And which, which means you've appointed yourself as what? The judge of the world. Yes, of course. Uh, you put yourself in God's shoes at that point in time. It's playing God, uh, controlling other people in various ways. This is what an unbridled tongue does. And an unbridled tongue is not a path to real piety because a real piety would recognize me as God or God as God and if I'm going to recognize God as God knowing that I tend to want to get in his shoes well then I've got to bridle my tongue you see the point so there's this need for some control of ourselves, some self-control, if the religion is going to be useful. So how could you be pious and still have an unbridled tongue? What would that look like? Okay, hypocrisy. But what, what would you do to be pious? What's a typical kind of thing? And again, we're talking ancient world here. This is not Christianity or Judaism specific. This is judgmentalness. Okay. You're judging people. So piety, but what, what, if you're going to say this is pious things to do, what would the kind of things be that really are pious? Charity. Okay, maybe you do charity. Maybe you give stuff, huh? You follow the rules. Yeah, every, every religion has some kind of rules, doesn't it? So you're going, you're going to go to the thing, whatever the thing is. The thing might be the temple or the pagoda, or the, or the thing might be the, the, uh, uh, assembly or the meeting or the sacrifice place or the festival or the solstice or the whatever. It, you're going to go to the thing and you're going to probably wear the stuff. You're going to go to the thing and wear the stuff. Think of the image of what Christ described the Pharisees as the outward robes. They like to sit in the high places. They like to be noticed. They like to pray these loud. Yeah, public prayers. They did the thing. They wore the stuff. They, they followed the rules, right? Mint, dill, and cumin. Mint, dill, and cumin. Have you ever seen cumin? You ever pour a little cumin? Can you imagine counting out ten percent of the cumin? 
go to the spice cabinet and start doing that. I mean, they were meticulous about following the rules. So it's very pious. Now, is any, did Jesus ever criticize them for doing those things? Those things, no. He never did. He never criticized them for following the rules. What did he say to do? Follow the rules, but... Yes, yeah. So, what did they leave undone? Mercy, Mercy and justice. So it's okay to do the stuff and go to the thing and and all that. It's okay, but that doesn't really get to the point. The point is what flows out of your heart and your mouth, right? That's that's kind of the point of this. So let's go back to First Timothy six, where we're talking about getting the stuff. 1 Timothy 6, we are talking about gain. Gain, when I say the word gain, hey, I had a phenomenal gain. What what pops into your head? Money, Money, okay. Yeah, I had a big money. What what kind of gain would you expect somebody like me might have? Well, yeah, I had a big gain. We had a big well that, that hit. Stocks went up, something like that. So we got godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certainly we can carry nothing out. Now, by, by that sentence, we know what about this game? It's not of this world, okay? We know this is not of this world. And isn't that interesting that he says godliness with contentment is great gain? For we brought nothing into this world and we can carry nothing out. Now, isn't that fascinating? So, why? what's he getting at here? What's the What's the... Why does he bring that sentence up? Okay, it's a true eternal gain. It's and it could be current though. It doesn't have to be something that we wait for. So it's a spiritual gain, let's say, and an eternal gain. But let's go back and look at this whole context here. Look at start in verse one. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke. So what does that mean? A bond servant under the yoke. What's a yoke? It's the, it's the harness. It's the harness, right? So why do you put an ox under the harness? So you can control it to do what? Work. 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 Okay, so you're a bondservant and you are employed to work. You have an obligation to work if you're a bondservant. That, that, that right? Okay. So let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So if you're an ox... And you've got a yoke on. How do you honor your master? You did, yeah, which is what? What are you supposed to do? Work, right. Pull hard. Yeah, get those horns on that burden and push. And encourage others to do the same. Yes. Why? Why do you want to do that? So the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Isn't that interesting? So what, what may be happening here? What, what, what do you infer from this? Okay, so, so your employer asks you to do something. You say, I don't want to do that. But wh- how, how could you do that in such a way that the name of God and His doctrine would, would, would be blasphemed? Bad attitude. Bad attitude? And, wh- and what particularly? How, what's the attitude you could have that would really bring, bring blasphemy? You're not the boss of me. Yes, you're not the boss of me. Who's my boss? God is my boss. If God tells me to do this, then I'll do it. But I've got more important things to do. I'm witnessing. I'm praying. You may think I'm fishing when you see me on the outside, but inside, I'm petitioning for the saints all over the world. 
right? So, no, 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 no. Don't use your service to God as an excuse not to work. That will blaspheme God. Work all the more for your master, even if your master is ungodly. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren. Now, why would you despise your boss because he's a brethren? Or your master, you're a slave, your master. Slaves in this time period are mostly have an economic contract. If you will do this for me, get me out of debt or redeem my house or whatever, I'll work for you for seven years type thing for the most part. Okay, so you say, my believing master, why would you despise your master because you're because uh, he's a believer? Jealousy. Jealousy could be jealousy. How? Huh? Look, we're we're believe we're brothers here. Um, you're asking me to do all this work. Why don't you lighten up? As a matter of fact, why don't you just let me out of my contract? As a matter of fact, why don't you just give me all your stuff? Matter of fact, why don't you just we just swap places? Because we're brothers, right? Why should you ask me to do all that work? You didn't ask Herman to do all that work. And he, he's a <laughs> he's too scary. Yeah. So so if you have a believing master, don't despise them because they're brethren, but serve them. Because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Work for them even harder. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome word, what kind of teaching has been going on here? False teaching is going on. And what's the underlying message here to this false teaching? Because I'm a believer, these people owe me. In fact, if we go back to the unbridled tongue, when we're criticizing or we're trying to control, really what we're saying is, this person owes me. They're obligated in some way to perform for me for my benefit. And all I'm doing is giving me my, myself my just due. It's, this is a pretty easy attitude to slip into. We're all kind of born with it. Have you noticed that? No, no. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. You know, there's a whole stream of teaching about prosperity that says God owes you. And if he doesn't perform for you, then you're doing something wrong. It's your fault. Because if you don't have the right kind of faith, then God won't perform His tricks. If you do have the right kind of faith, God will perform His tricks. Which means you're in control. And God will perform for you. It's a very popular way of thinking. We like to think we're in control. This all amounts to the same thing. We have a master that's asking us to do stuff. And we say, that's not reasonable. That is not a reasonable request. You're obligated to put me in circumstances that make me comfortable. I'm not going to do that job that you gave me to do. It's beneath me. Same difference, right? Well, well, what that attitude is, is proud. Well, of course it's proud. Because it says, I know better. I should be in control. You should serve me. And it likes disputes and arguments over words. Isn't this how we 
make this attitude manifest is with words. You know, Marxism is this way. Marxism died as a, in the form of communism, but it's just remorphing itself into a new strain. And, and Marxism is still real powerful. It's basically taken over our universities for the most part. And what they promote is this attitude. They owe you. They owe you. Who, who owes you? Well, they did. They owe you. The man. The man owes you. Well, who's the man? They're the man. <laughs> and they're just promoting this. And, and what they're really saying is what? If you have this attitude of, you owe me. Okay? You can have it with anybody, can't you? You can have it with your spouse. You owe me. What have you done, really? Place yourself above them. Place yourself above them. Control. Who's controlling who? You're trying to control them. What's really happened? They're controlling you. You've actually made yourself a slave to them. How? My happiness is depending on you. That's why I have to be so virulent and possessive about this is because my whole being and happiness is depending on you smiling at me right now. And if you don't, I'm going to crater. Don't you realize how I have to control you because my happiness is dependent on you. Isn't it interesting how things always end up upside down when we do it the world's way? Well, of course, that leads to disputes and arguments because that's how I try to control you because my happiness is dependent on you. We now have 14,000 women in Malawi that have gone through the Changing Me program. Anybody in here done some of that teaching? Yes, okay. And that's the point of the whole program, isn't it? That if you say, it's, I, it, my husband, I require for my happiness, my husband has to behave a certain way, you're a slave. And if you start saying, hey, I'm just going to let God change me from the inside out, I'll try serving my husband... It's just you're not a slave anymore. You're free. And what, what's been the basic response from those women? So supportive of the men there, but, but, and they're very submissive to the men there. But Outwardly. Yes, but inwardly they're madder than heck. And, yeah. And this has just freed them up to... They don't have to be mad anymore. And, that, and they know that they answer to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So their happiness is not dependent on the way the husband's. And what's the husband's response been? Wow. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. And why do they like it? Because they they already had quote unquote submissive wives. But what's different now? She's happy. The attitude. Yeah. They're not being submissive out of obligation now. They're doing it because they want to. And the men are like, Hey, what what'd you do to my wife? Right. And they're not trying to control their husband. Oh, they're not trying to control their husbands. Oh, we know men love to be controlled by women. <laughs> well, of course, your wife, after she taught this in Malawi, came back and was a changed person. James, do you want to tell us all about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So this becomes envy, strife, reviling, envy, uh, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. 
who suppose godliness is a means of gain. Do you see the connection of godliness as a means with gain with the first couple of, of uh, verses? How does that work? How's godliness a means of gain? I'm more pious than you, so you have to do. You have to do for me because, yeah, my piety causes me to be able to obligate you to do something for me. Have you ever had somebody tell you you're obligated to hire them because they're a Christian? You're obligated to buy your stuff? Boy, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've learned when somebody starts telling me what a great Christian they are, I, my, all my antennas go up. Well, what does that tell me? They're hiding something really bad. They, they, they've got some kind of shield up because there's something bad wrong <laughs> underneath. Because their performance of actually doing the job isn't going to be sufficient, so they have to have a cover of some kind. Now, that's not always the case, but it's pretty typically the case. Because these guys think piety is a means of gain. Hey, if I put this, if I put this shield on, if I put this label on, if I wear this badge, I can make more money. Or I can obligate people to advance me. From such, withdraw yourself. Don't have, any, don't have anything to do with that. That's just corrupt. Now, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's not this obligating the world, it's something completely different. So what is contentment would be the important question. Well, contentment is an interesting thing to look at. Let's look at Hebrews 13. We can have piety with and without contentment because we go to the place and do the stuff. We're in the place right now doing the stuff, actually. And we can do this thing in the place, doing the stuff, and still not have gain, we want to understand what this contentment thing is. So let's look at Hebrews 13. Let's look at verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. So that seems fairly straightforward, doesn't it? So can one part of contentment is what? Yeah, the stuff I have is okay. My, the spouse I have is okay. The children I have is all okay. You consider spouse stuff? Stuff, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's the place. It's just a place. (laughs) Yeah, be, be, be content with what you have. Where you are, who you're with, the job you've got. The relationships you have, the family situation you have, the material possessions you've got, just be content with that. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what does that have to do with being content with the circumstances and the stuff you have? You got God. You got God. Okay, well, why should that make me content? What does that do for me that I would otherwise think of my circumstances and stuff doing for me? Because man can't touch you, man. Okay, why can man not touch me? They can take all my stuff. Okay, so why do I need a helper? It says to me, the Lord is my helper. I won't fear what can man do to me. He has to remind us. Okay, he's got to remind us. 
Well, what do we usually want stuff to do in situations and circumstances? Make us comfortable and happy. Make us comfortable and happy how? Because we have what we want. But what do we want? We want more. So that doesn't make us happy. What? God said, don't count the children of Israel and don't multiply chariots and things because you end up trusting in them. But David showed a great example of walking up to Goliath without anything and trusting in the Lord and the Lord redeemed him. So. Okay, yeah, we do tend to trust in stuff, don't we? There's a whole, there's a whole system of advertising on TV that is trying to get you to put money with financial advisors because that is your security. If you know a little bit about the stock market, you should not buy that basic notion. And, you know, money. Money is, if you look at the history of money, there's a cycle where money goes into complete, you know, goes to zero and then resets. And it happens when governments start spending weight. First thing they do is they start debasing the basis of the currency. What Rome did is they started they started uh, diluting the silver and the gold with tin or with other with other metals, and so first first it's actual gold and then it's diluted gold because they're inflating it. They, yeah, yeah. They, so and they, you know, if you if you see a dime today, it's got little uh, serrations on the edges, and that's because people used to, yeah, they used to shave it on the edge to get a little of the silver off and just kind of take a little here and there. So they started putting those serrations on there so you could tell if it had been shaved or not. Is that Because there's just a tendency for people to want to get free money. So what governments tend to do, this is all throughout history, China, going back to China. What they tend to do, they first take it off, they debase the basis of the currency, and then they start kind of printing money, you know, fiat money, and then the money goes to zero. It's a very well-known... Uh, uh, cycle. But we're too smart to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, so, I mean, trusting in money is not really a good idea. It's good to have money. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we all have money, but trusting in money. How about trusting in other people? Can, can you really put your confidence in other people to make you happy? For one thing, they'll die. I mean, even, even if they're trustworthy all their life, you're not going to be able to depend. One of you is going first, right? So you know, what we tend to do is put our trust in people, circumstances, things. And on the one hand, when we do put our trust in there, it's not good enough. We have to control it. We have to say, you owe me, and we want more. All of, all of which puts us in a position to be incredibly unhappy. And here's this saying, I, you know what? I love my spouse, and I'm really thankful I've got my spouse. But... Even if my spouse goes someday before me, I've got another helper. I've got somebody else I can depend on that'll that'll take her place. You know, I like my stuff. I like I love my pickup. Oh man, I enjoy driving that thing so much. But you know, if it turns out someday that I don't have my pickup, I'll I'll have enough. I'll have something. I don't know what it is. You know how I know that? I've got a helper. I've got enemies. I, I got people who would like to kill me. Well, maybe they will. At some point, maybe they will do that. But, you know, what can man do to me? They can't take my soul. They can't take my life. I'm going to lose it anyway, one way or the other. You see this attitude? Now my posi- I don't have to fear anymore. I can build my 401k. Happy to do it. 
I can build up my bank account. Happy to do it. I can own stuff. Happy to do it. Fun. But it doesn't control me. Why does it not control me? That's not what I'm relying on. Because I have a helper. By the way, this word helper, this comes from Psalm 118. You know what this Hebrew word is the same as? Yes. It's the same as I will make a helper suitable for you. Ladies, you know what you're doing when you lean into this helper role? You're being God on earth. You are the image of God. And it's happening when you do this. Men? No. We're supposed to be one. Which means, as a unit, we're supposed to be helpers and servants. Because this is the image of God. Yeah, so this is, this is contentment without covetousness. You see the, you see the contrast here? Because what's the tendency? Is to look at someone else and say, I wish my kids were like that. I wish my health was like that. I wish I was that short. <laughs> Gee, I wish I had that. You know, I have an acquaintance. And somebody told me this. I don't know if it's true, but it's a great story. He was looking at the Forbes 400 or whatever. And whoever was with him said he looked at it. And the, 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 bottom, the bottom tier had gone up a bunch. You know, like the 400, the guy's net worth had increased a lot. And he said, oh, I just don't think I'm ever going to make it on here. <laughs> now, if you had a chance to be on the Forbes 400, wouldn't your life's goal and your happiness depend on getting on that list and being published in that magazine? You look at it and say, well, that's kind of crazy, right? But think of the things that have made you miserable because you couldn't get. And aren't they basically... The difference is that you don't have a shot at that one. <laughs> but you do have a shot at this one, so we tend to get miserable over it, right? Well, it's we, sort of a pride thing. C.S. Lewis said that the, that the main, the biggest sin was pride. Pride is always competition in comparison to other people. And so if you're really content, you cease to compare yourself with other people. Very great, because what, what are we judging ourselves now? We're just a child of God. Yeah, I, mean, I just play my role. And I enjoy what I have. The crazy thing about this, let's go back to 1 Timothy 6... The crazy thing about this is this is the basis for enjoyment of stuff. Look at 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, prideful, comparative, or to trust in this uncertain riches. I'm always going to be okay because of this money I have. But you're all uncertain, right? But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. See, this is the real tragedy. And I think there's going to be an accounting for this. The the rabbis actually say, we will give an account to God for every pleasure we could have had but didn't. And what we tend to do is go through life with all these wonderful things that we should just be enjoying like crazy and we're not enjoying any of them. Why? Because we're focused on comparison. Or we're focused on what we don't have. 
to make us happy instead of enjoying what we do have. And the funny thing about this is when we adopt this contented attitude, it frees us up to enjoy our stuff. I mean, really enjoy our stuff. If you have anything that's not making you happy, please get rid of it. If you have something that's making you miserable, just get rid of it. That's not what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be something you enjoy because God's given us all things richly to enjoy. And then, of course, one of the keys to doing that is let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. So by sharing our stuff, we actually free ourselves up to enjoy our stuff and we, we send stuff ahead. One of the keys that he says in that book is exactly what you just got through saying. The secret is subtraction, not addition. And I think that's a great way. So, so, so what does that mean, subtraction? Getting rid of things? Trying to add things to your life, uh, thinking that's going to make, make you content. I see. Find ways to get rid of things except for God. Okay. <laughs> and then you can enjoy everything. Then you can enjoy everything. Well, let's go back to our First Timothy 6, uh, 1 through 5 passage. 6 or 6, 7, go to 6 and 7. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's where we started this whole thing is we want great gain. And it says, for it, we brought nothing into this world. It's certainly certain we can carry nothing out. Now, why is that important? Yeah, because everything's temporary. Now, we tend to think of everything we own as permanent somehow, don't we? That's why we clutch onto it so much. But if we can get this notion really ingrained in us that everything we have is just passing through, it's just, it's just a matter of timing as to when it goes out of my hands, isn't it? And which would you rather do? Have the people fight over it after you're gone? Or teach them how to use it profitably while you're still here. If you think of it that way, then giving is just like attending your own... Yeah, attending your own... What do you call that when they do the will thing? Probate. probate. Attending your own probate and saying, here's how I want things done. And then, and then shepherding the people as you go along. I, I really don't understand why people build all this stuff up and then dump it on folks that are not really prepared to use it. It mostly wrecks their lives if you just kind of if you just kind of look at at how it tends to go. If you have great means, start teaching them whoever you're going to give it to, start teaching them how to do it now. You know, get get them engaged with with being great stewards. You don't want you don't want to set up you don't want to set up uh, dependency because then they can't learn these lessons. They're going to depend on their trust fund or whatever. Well, We didn't bring anything into this world. It's certain we'll carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare. Many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Let me show you this perdition word. It's It's the Greek word apolion, apolion, apolion. I don't know how you say it. I don't know how to pronounce it. Look look at Matthew seven thirteen. So this is what this is what chasing material is material benefit for the purpose of having happiness will do. It gives us this Apollyon perdition. 
Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's pretty typical for people to t- speak that this is talking about hell, but do you think you think you can go to hell because you don't you don't treat your money well? That that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? And one of the ways you can do the wide gate, I mean, it's pretty easy to trust in money and expect money to make you happy, isn't it? Does it take a lot of effort to fall into that way of thinking? It's the wide road. But what Jesus is talking to, he starts this whole Sermon on the Mount with, and his, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and we know there's other people listening, but this is mainly the disciples, and he's trying to teach throughout this whole thing how to have a constructive, productive life. And it starts with changing the heart on the inside. And the narrow gate is this same attitude we're talking about of contentment. And one of the ways you can get destruction is chasing money. Now, you've seen this, haven't you? Haven't you seen people get start accumulating possessions to the point that they just get totally miserable? And, um, but it's not some... Are you spending money? Yeah. You, you're saying women like to spend money? <laughs> does anybody, has anybody else noticed that? <laughs> Shopping. So why, why do women like to spend money? They've actually studied this. There's endomorphin rush that goes with buying stuff. Men actually like too. What about buyer's remorse? What kind of sound Buyer's remorse. It's like it's like the DTs. Yeah. But men men don't like to buy lots of stuff. They like to buy big stuff. That makes a big noise when you start it up. Happiness usually comes from the purchasing and not the enjoyment of what you buy. That's right. It's a very fleeting thing. That's right. Yeah, we should just create an industry where you can buy something and then just annul it the next day. That'd be a big positive. Look at yeah. Look at John seventeen. John seventeen twelve. It's the same word, Apollyon. Because the opposite of contentment is perdition. So, dang, we keep getting these binary choices, don't we? We always would prefer just the middle ground where we have a little bit of both, comfortable and benefit. But we don't get that. We, 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 we can either change from the inside out or have perdition. John seventeen twelve. While I was with them, he's praying to his Father, in the world, I kept them in your name, those you gave me. I have kept, and none of them has lost, except the son of perdition, the son of destruction. Who's he talking about? Judas. Judas was incredibly destructive. Why was Judas destructive? Money. But he threw the money back. Speaking of buying his remorse, do you remember why he threw the money back? He saw... He had betrayed an innocent man. See, I think, I think the circumstances here tell us he thought he was precipitating the revolution, which was going to be great for Israel, and he was going to profit at the same time. It was a win-win situation. And he saw, I've betrayed an innocent man. Buyer's remorse goes out and hangs himself. Well, that's pretty destructive. You think you have everything under control and all blows up, it's to the point where you're ready to kill yourself. 
It's not unusual to see people who become incredibly famous and rich destroy themselves. Isn't that what Robin Williams just did? It's it's not that Marilyn Monroe. You just start going down the list, you know. It's not it's not that it's not that unusual of a outcome. Second Thessalonians chapter two calls the false messiah the son of perdition. Well, I won't go to that one since you brought it up. Yeah, that's good. You you get the false the false prophet. Let's really look at Romans nine. Romans nine verse twenty two. This is this is this is what we're embracing if we don't take contentment. This is this is the alternative. Romans nine twenty two. What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? And this word prepared here is actually the word katerisma, which is a middle action acting on itself word. It should be really translated fit, which is fit for destruction. So again, what we're doing, if we, if we pursue this worldly things, we're just getting stuff that's going to burn up. We're, we're possessing and trusting in things that are just passing through our hands. They're transitory. And all that, all that ends up with just destruction, loss. What are some things that can be destroyed by having an attitude of these next things that I buy are going to make me happy or trying to control our circumstances? Boy, you sure can burn. You lose your time. You just get this one chance to know God by faith in this life. And it's just gone. You burned it up. You don't ever get another opportunity to know God by faith. Well, know God by sight forevermore. But our blessing of knowing God by sight, our ability, our capacity to enjoy that is largely being set with the extent we know God by faith. And you just burned it up. You lost it. It's gone forever. That's a that's certainly a huge loss. What other? What else? Health. What is it? Your health. your health. How can it? How can it mess up your health? You stress, anxiety. Yeah, you can't sleep. You're what? You're what? What's going to happen to me? What are they going to say to me tomorrow? What if I lose this 401k account or whatever? Yeah. But you, some, go ahead. Well, there's some great quote by J.P. Morgan right before he died. And I'll butcher it, but he, he said basically that he he was more miserable than he could ever imagine, and he wouldn't wish the riches that he had on anyone. Really? Did he really? Wow. Yeah, because what is what is wealth? Material wealth. It's the power to do more of whatever it is you wish. But then there's burns on. Uh, the Simpsons that said, <laughs> that said I'd, give, I'd give it all up I'd give it all up if I could have just a little more <laughs> those guys well that, he gets it then doesn't he yeah you destroy relationships yeah I mean there's just destruction every let's end with uh, Philippians 4 because the one one of the things that kind of comes in here is that we started with the idea of contentment in the context of striving. You know, we're the ox, we're under the yoke, we're working really hard, we're trying to get stuff done, and we're supposed to be striving and content at the same time. Well, it, it turns out that contentment really comes through striving. Is the way that works, not striving for stuff, 
are striving for control. But look at 4.10, Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me, the Philippian church had, had sent him a material gift, has flourished again. Though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. You didn't have the, you didn't have the opportunity to give to me. And I'm really glad you started giving to me my ministry again. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to work. I live with nothing. And I know how to abound, which is actually the harder one. I know how to enjoy my life when I have a bunch. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. What does do all things mean? Is he busy or not? Do all things is a busy phrase, isn't it? What all is left out of all things? Yes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's energy and power and achievement flowing through Paul's veins and none of it's directed towards his material circumstances. He's happy with whatever they are because... He's focused on the prize. He's focused on finishing well and serving others. And then he goes on and says, Nevertheless, you've done well. You've shared in my distress. I had need. You Philippians know that also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You're my only real consistent support base. Even in Thessalonica you sent... And aid once again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. I'm really glad you're doing this because you're laying up treasure in heaven. And then he ends with, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When we serve from the heart, we can depend on our Helper supplying all our needs. Because he's really rich. Isn't that, everything is, kind of ends up backwards from the world's way, doesn't it? Instead of controlling, we trust. Instead of ascending ourselves, we serve. Instead of amassing possessions so that we can be indulgent and do nothing, we work our tails off. And out of that grows great riches and contentment and the ability to enjoy richly all things God's given us. It's a way to be rich. God, thank you for visiting us with your word. Help us be content. Whatever's in our way, help us get rid of it. God, just subtract it from our lives. Because what we want to do is enjoy. And we want to have our industry flow into things that matter and give us great gain pray that you'll take everyone in here and make them fabulously wealthy in your economy. In Jesus' name, amen.